Good morning, everyone. Well, today we're going to uh, complete our sermon series called Announced by Angels. So, so far we have considered why an angel appeared to Mary, to Joseph, and to the shepherds. Today we consider one final set of message from an angel. So I'm going to read from the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, not the whole book, but the whole chapter. Um, I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 to 11, which is the whole chapter. And then I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 23, which again is the whole chapter. Let's start with Isaiah chapter 61, and there's found on page 1064, if you are using the church Bible, page 1064. The year of the Lord's favor, Isaiah chapter 61, starting from verse 1. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Verse 4, They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion, and instead of disgrace, you will receive, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and, wrong, and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I will delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed 
me in a robe of of his righteousness. As the bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up, and the garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. The second reading is from Matthew chapter 2, and it's found on page 1374, page 1374. Matthew chapter 2, starting from verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who was born King of the Jews? We saw his star, and it rose, and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his, mo- with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Verse 13. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord has said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, 
he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said to the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Verse 19. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go back to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Achilles was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said to the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. It's good to listen to God's word, isn't it? Um, there'll be a lot in those readings that I won't be referring to this morning, but there's, there's so much in there to, to, to think about and, ta- and, uh, and ponder. And, you know, there might be something in, in one of those readings that, uh, that I don't even refer to you, but that is just what you need to hear and think about today. Um, let's, let's pray before we delve a bit more deeply into Matthew's Gospel. Heavenly Father, we ask that you will reveal your Son to us in your Word so that we will know him and love him more deeply. Amen. Let me start off by telling you a fact about this guy, about this guy. There he is. This is King Henry VIII. Now, I was wondering about this example. Can you put up your hand if you know who King Henry VIII is? I'm not going to ask you. I just want a feeling for, okay, it's probably half-half because I'm, I'm conscious that uh, not everybody's learnt the same things in history class or remembers history class. Um, and I'm also aware that... King Henry VIII isn't part of the school curriculum anymore, but he was one of the guys that we talked about in our Sunday night series last year, uh, that series we did on where did all the denominations come from. And he turned up in the story of the church because King Henry desperately wanted a son who would continue on after him on his throne. And his wife Catherine didn't seem to be giving him what he wanted, and so uh, there was this, this long story about Henry's attempt to get rid of Catherine and marry another woman. And in the process of trying to do that, Henry ended up changing the history and the direction of the Church of England. And that has flowed on to shape the direction and the history of the USA and Canada and Australia and India and parts of Africa and every other place that English missionaries have been. 
So it was a, it was a massive turning point in history. But here's, here's a little-known fact that sometimes gets skipped. Uh, did you know that Henry's first wife, Catherine, actually did bear him a son, but the child died a few hours after birth? Can you imagine how different world history would have been if that child had lived? Now, today's Bible reading from the Gospel of Matthew tells us about how Jesus' life was saved when he was a child because of the intervention of an angel. And today we're going to think about what a difference this has made for us. Really, our focus this morning will be just on one verse, Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. And the question I'm going to start off with is, well, why did an angel appear to Joseph? And it's got a fairly simple answer, but as we think about that, it's going to lead us into another question, a deeper, more theological question, which we're going to explore this morning, and that will lead us into some life encouragements for the new year which is in front of us. So let's start off by reading that verse again. Matthew chapter 2 verse 13. When they, the wise men, when the wise men had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Let me just point out a few things here. First of all, uh, the angel appears to Joseph in a dream, just like the time before when Mary was pregnant and an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream. But this time there's there's a particular urgency to the angel's message. It's get up, get up right now, get out of bed and go. And, and there's an urgency because, okay, I decided to do a little bit of uh, research on Apple Maps uh, to figure out h- how far is it from... I mean, we know the, the, the wise men came from far, far away, but how far is it from Herod's palace in Jerusalem to Bethlehem, where Mary and Joseph and Jesus would have been? And you know what? 9.7 kilometres. That's like the distance from here to Epping Plaza. Or to put it another way, it's two hours and eight minutes of walking. And the walking directions did point out to me, did warn me that there might be a steep hill to go up on Manger Street. But, um, but, but think about that. That means it's quite possible that King Herod was expecting the wise men to come back pretty quickly and, I mean, the wise men obviously at least stayed one night because they, they had a dream. But, but when they didn't come back, it may not have been long till Herod sends his men to Bethlehem. And so Joseph is going to have to get moving straight away. And that's what it says in verse 14. He took the child and his mother during the night. And notice how the angel says, take the child and his mother that the focus, the first place, is on the child. This is, a, this is a story primarily about Jesus' life being saved. And it's also interesting. You've got this combination of 
supernatural guidance, a dream from an angel, but also very ordinary means. I mean, think about it. If God's going to use angels, he, like, he could have, I guess, sent his angels down with flaming swords to fight back Herod's men. But instead, he sent an angel with an instruction that Joseph should do the ordinary, common sense thing, which is that if you're in danger, escape. Go to another country. Stay outside of Herod's reach until it's safe to return. Also notice that God provided for the family through ordinary means. Because, okay, if, if, I mean, if you had to suddenly get up and hop on a plane and go overseas, would you have cash on hand to live by? Where, where, are, where are Joseph and his family going to get the money to suddenly relocate to Egypt? Well, they happen to have some gold and frankincense and myrrh and all of that stuff is in high demand in Egypt. So there's a lot of just common sense stuff and a lot of stuff that God has pro- provided by ordinary means but the instruction to up and go did need to come from an angel because at this stage nobody knows exactly what Herod's about to do when it comes to this newborn king. I mean, all Herod has said up to this point is, hey, I think I might be interested in going and worshipping the child. I mean, a little bit out of character for Herod, but that's all he's said so far. And it's not until you get down to verse 16 that Herod actually issues the order to kill. At, At this point, when Joseph and his family need to get out, only God knows what Herod will do. God knows, actually before Herod himself knows, exactly what's going to happen. And so God sends his angel, Joseph, Jesus and Mary, get out of town. An angel saves a child's life. But here's the theological question. Why? Why is this important? Why did Jesus' life need to be saved? I mean, I'm all in favour of saving the babies. But there were other boys in Bethlehem who were not saved from Herod's men. So why was it important that Jesus was saved? Especially since, think about it, what was Jesus' mission? Jesus' mission was to come and die. Jesus said, I have come to lay down my life as a ransom for many. Could could the Son of God have been born and seen by shepherds and wise men and then died for our sins straight away? And and just be spared the the hassle of that 30-something years before he went to the cross? I mean, that's a hypothetical question. It didn't happen that way, but... I think it's a question worth asking. What, what would we be missing if Jesus had died as a child? Well, first of all, we would miss out on Jesus' work as a prophet. Being a prophet was part of the role of the Messiah. Do you remember our Old Testament reading? The Lord has anointed me. Remember the Messiah is the anointed one. The Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
And, and you read through Jesus, uh, Matthew's gospel and it's full of Jesus' teaching. If, you, if you've got one of those Bibles that has Jesus' words in red, you see that half of Matthew's gospel is red. Jesus is, is the greatest prophet. Jesus shares with us a view of God which is clearer and more direct than anyone who came before him. And just think about what he says in, in Matthew chapter 11 from verse 27. Jesus says, All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. See, a key part of Jesus' mission was to reveal God to us. He comes as the prophet who knows God like nobody else has known God. And, of course, Jesus took on this teaching ministry, not as a baby, but as an adult Parents, when your baby was first born, didn't, didn't, didn't you look at your child and just sort of say, oh, what, what kind of person is in there? I mean, you could, you could guess, there's little, little hints, but before your child speaks, before your child starts making their own life choices, you don't really know who they are. And it's a joy, parents, isn't it, to see your kids grow up and you discover how each one is different and unique. A key part of Jesus' mission was to reveal God to us by revealing himself to us. And so without the adult Jesus, so much that we know about God would just be a mystery, a question mark in heaven. We, we would know that there's some God who sent his law in the Old Testament and his son in the New Testament, but, but we would miss out on so much of the richness of God's character. We, we would not know the gentleness and the humility of Christ that enables us to rest in him. The other thing that Jesus did as an adult, and this is part of his work as a prophet, is that Jesus trained up disciples. And again, this is, this is a big focus in Matthew's Gospel. Matthew's Gospel is being called a, a manual of discipleship. Early on, he, says, follow, he calls men, he says, follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. And then through the Gospel of Matthew, most of Jesus' teaching is directed at these men. And then you get to the very end of the book and what does he do? He sends them out to make disciples of all nations. So when you think about it, we wouldn't be gathered here today knowing Jesus if Jesus had died as a baby because he wouldn't have trained up disciples and so we wouldn't have heard. God had work for Jesus to do as a prophet and so God did not allow anyone to take his life until that work was done. And you, you know, that it's true for us too. God has work prepared for each of us to do in his kingdom. Now, perhaps, like, 
our work is not as world-changing as Jesus' work, but God will protect each of us until our work that he's prepared for us is done. No one can take our life before that. And so, God sent an angel to save Jesus' life so that he could do his work as a prophet. But not only that, maybe you've figured out where I'm going to go here. God also preserved Jesus' life so that he could do his work as a priest. If you flip over a page in Matthew's Gospel, the first, the first glimpse we get of adult Jesus uh, is end of chapter 3, it's his baptism. Where, what does Jesus do? He lines up with sinners. He identifies with us. And then at the start of chapter 4, he's out in the wilderness. He's by himself. He's hungry. He's tempted by the devil. Uh, It's interesting. One of the temptations is a temptation to trust in angels. The the devil takes him up on top of the temple and says, Hey, Jesus, why don't you do something stupid? Why, Why don't you just jump and get the angels to catch you? And Jesus says, No. See, throughout the life of Jesus, there there are angels that bring messages, but the angels don't do the actual work of saving us. That's all done by Jesus, the man who trusts in God. And now the bigger point that I'm trying to get to is that Jesus, by growing to adulthood, suffered and was tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so now that Jesus is at God's right hand, and and now that we come to God through Jesus, we're coming through someone who can sympathise with us from his personal lived experience. He's been through the sorts of things that we have. Not, not through, I know he hasn't been through exactly the same situations that you've been through. His experience was in a particular time and place, but he's experienced equivalent things. Everyone suffers, but we, we each suffer in different ways. I mean, just compare. You've got the person on the street who's wondering how they're going to buy food tonight, And you've got the chief executive who's panicking because the share price is going down. Now, one is more privileged than the other, but they're both stressed. They're both experiencing suffering and they can both go to Jesus and find a merciful and compassionate high priest who's been through all the kinds of stresses that you find in this world and he has trusted God. And so Jesus has been on the journey from childhood all the way to adulthood. An angel, God sent an angel to save Jesus' life in order to do his work as a prophet, in order to be fully equipped as our merciful priests. What's the final one going to be? In order to lay down his life as the righteous king. In all of the Gospels, but Matthew's Gospel especially, it highlights that Jesus' death was the death of the King. When you get to that chapter, 27, the chapter about the cross, you've got the crown of thorns. 
You've got the troops saying, Hail, King of the Jews. You've got the sign above Jesus' head saying, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. You've got people around the cross saying, Can't he save himself? He's the King of Israel. Matthew makes sure he mentions all those things that that highlight that Jesus' death is the death of the King. And we thought about this a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? Do you remember how we thought about how Jesus was in the kingly line of David? And an angel made sure of that because it's as king that Jesus can act as the covenant head of his people. It's as king that he is head of the body. It's as king that he can act on our behalf. And so it's as king that he dies on our behalf he takes the penalty for our sins but not only that not only does he take the penalty see we could we could talk about we got the the passive obedience of christ how he suffered for us and for our sins but but there's also the active obedience of christ how he lived this full life getting up in the morning, having breakfast, going to work. He lived a full life without sin, a full life full of love and good works. And so we got the, the two T-shirts from our kids' uh, kids talk. Not only does our sin go to him, but his righteousness is given to us. That's the righteousness of his active obedience. What that means is that now, as our king, as our head, Jesus stands before God and he presents this full life of obedience to the Father on our behalf. He's not just presenting, here's my birth and my death. He's also presenting everything in between. There's one theologian called Robert Leatham who puts it like this. Since our Lord's obedience reaches back over the course of his whole life, So every part and every facet of his life was lived for us, on our behalf and in our place. It's his faith, his obedience, his faithfulness, his prayer which avails for us. And so as we wrap up 2023 and we look to 2024, what's what's the take home for us today? How should we respond? Well, the simple fact that God sent his angel to save Jesus so that Jesus could grow to adulthood, that's a reminder that the gospel is more than just Christmas and Easter, more than just birth and death. And sure, we we want to keep Jesus' death on the cross as the key moment, the central moment, the moment that unlocks the meaning of everything else that happened to Jesus on earth. But it's not the only moment, which is actually good to remember. Because just think about this. If, if we only had birth and then death, it would be easy to just think of Christ's death as, oh, that's that, that's that transaction that makes my debt go away, that sorts out my problem with judgment. Okay, that's good, that's done, I'll take that and I'll I'll accept the death of Christ and I'll get back to whatever else I'm doing in life. Whereas the whole life of Jesus, as he reveals himself to us, it reminds us that the purpose of his death is to establish an ongoing relationship 
And so we need to embrace the whole Christ, prophet, priest and king. Christ who is revealed to us in the whole gospel. And so in 2024, let's be people who love Christ the prophet. If we love Christ the prophet, it means we'll be hungry to get into his word. We want to keep learning from him because learning from him means we're learning how to rest in him, rest in the good news that he speaks to us. If we love Christ the prophet, it means we're trying to equip ourselves to be able to build one another up by the word of Christ the prophet. It means that we're, we'll be wanting to work together to bring that word, that good word, to those who haven't yet heard. In 2024, let's be people who love Christ our priest. That means we're going to be people of prayer, who love to spend time drawing near to God in worship. It means we, we be people who we know that we've got a priest who has suffered and, and been tempted and so we can draw near to God at any time, in any situation and we can find that cleansing and that help in the midst of our struggles. Finally, in 2024, let's be people who love Christ our King. Let's be people who delight to obey him. Not because not we think that obeying him, oh, that gets us right with God. No, we want to live in line with who we are as part of his kingdom. People who love to do what's good and right. Because we know that our king's not asking anything of us that he wasn't fully prepared to do himself. So what a, what a wonderful thing that God sent his angel to Joseph and said, get up and go. Because of that, Christ grew to adulthood. And so we can know him today as our prophet, our priest and our king. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Christ and how he shows us who you are and we thank you that he shows us gentleness and humility as well as majesty and victory. Father, we pray that you will deepen our love for Christ, our prophet, our priest and our king. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.